Great. I am here today joined with uh, Jeff and Paul Chutter. They are the uh, founders of Whitewater West. Uh, this is a company that's uh, the leader in globally in water parks and water-themed entertainment. I'm really happy to have you guys here today. The company was founded in 1980 by uh, Jeff himself, and uh, we're here to talk about your success you've had, some of the trials and tribulations that you went on in your early days, and uh, find out more about the water entertainment water park business. So thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Yeah. So you, you, while you built your first one yourself, it sounds like you pivoted very quickly after that into the, the instead of building them and running them yourselves and, and buying the land, it was about uh, pivoting the business to, to basically creating the designs Yes, and, and, and let but let it basically turn into current turnkey operation. Is that so to speak? And uh, yes, that's how it evolved. I mean, in in our in the Penticton operation, we had to make our own molds, okay, um, uh, to manufacture the flumes, and and without any intention of, of manufacturing more than one set. Um, and as I say, it was that first summer that caused us to to, to do the do the pivot. Um, but we used a local engineering company and and that eventually tough times in penticton merged that together with us providing us with engineering and and the slides in 87 i flew to cairo and signed a contract and and afterwards paul said you know funny thing we had a fellow from north vancouver here last week and we signed a, a wave equipment contract with him and I'd never heard of this fellow, but I got back, met him. He was struggling a little bit, merged him into the into the game, and uh, he's been my partner since 1987. So that provided engineering, water slides, and, and wave equipment, and have done that with interactive play, with surfing, uh, wave equipment, uh, uh, stationary surfing equipment, and and just added to the added to the portfolio. But found in the early days, uh, some of the designs that the local architects were coming up with were just uninspiring and you're going to lose everything if you go down that road. Um, so we started doing conceptual drawings um, and that, that was fantastic because it allowed us to meet the developer early on in the game. And then by the time they got to the point of wanting to procure equipment and do construction, we already had a relationship with them, so strategically that worked out very well. If I were to go on one of the Whitewater West water slides from 1980 to zip down one of those then, and then go down one today, what's the difference in the experience? Is it, am, is, is it, it's got to be a lot, huh? Fear. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I'm not big on uh, no side rails. You're just kind of holding on. <laughs> no, I'm not big on. For example, the one in were they more fear-inducing in the early '80s? Yeah. <laughs> the 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 first one in Penticton were were just body flumes. Uh, four of them were all the not the same uh, slide path, but the same type of flumes all the way down. So it was it was almost like having four Ferris wheels in a park. So it yeah. worked because prior to that there were no Ferris no, wheels. Uh, sure. So uh, it, it it did work. But as we got more and more into it. You start adding uh, inner tube rides and high speed rides, and the and the what the focus, what our focus has been for the last half dozen plus years, is big rides that would be described as family rides, rides in which six people go down in a big raft together. So you're you're looking across at your 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 partner and child's faces, and yeah. you. That's that's something that when dad can see his son daughter's face, he'll drop 
twenty dollars on the table every single time because that that those are the the big moments. There, there was uh, there was an incident that occurred oh probably fifteen years ago at one of the trade shows when uh, an old guy was after the show was in the aisles and when I say old guy he's probably my age now um, and and I started talking to him and uh, it came out that he said he said something really profound for me he said. If I could only live one day of my life again, it was the day I took my family to the water park. And, you know, my initial reaction was, buddy, you got to get a life. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he went on to explain that it was a time when he and his wife and the two kids, they were all on highs. Yeah. And they did it, uh, you know, a number of times during the summer. And it was always something they reflected back on as uniformly a happy time. Um, and that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, when you're lying in bed looking at the ceiling, that's a bit of a feel-good moment, uh, putting smiles on people's faces around the world. Yeah. We talked just before you started filming about uh, Splashdown Park and taking my, oh, right. my yeah. kids last summer. Yeah. And my five-year-old who wants to take me down the boomerang and I always have to make sure like he knows I'm really fearful of it, which I am partly, but uh, so let's, okay, so let's fast forward. So that's 1980, it's now, 2021, uh, Whitewater West is the global leader in the space. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Yeah. Um, who's who? Who would be your next biggest competitor in the space? And like by contrast, like where do you compare? It it depends. Uh, it's very much geographic focused. Um, uh, in, in the global market, uh, players that um, do large parks globally, uh, key competitor would be out of Turkey. Uh, there'd be a number out of out of China, there'd be actually another one in uh, in Eastern Canada, but it's fair to say a number of countries have their own kind of boutique manufacturers. Uh, one in Holland, uh, two in Poland, one in Spain, one in Switzerland, one in Germany, uh, and another one in Turkey, and the and the list goes on. Um, uh, so there, there's there's lots of competition. Our our closest competitor would be. Uh, 40, 45% our size. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, of the 500 employees, how many of them are employed here in, in Canada and BC and Lower Mainland? The vast majority, actually. Uh, we have an uh, 80,000 square foot fiberglass manufacturing plant in, in Kelowna. Um, and uh, our head office is, is here in Richmond. Um, and that's one of the interesting things. As we've gone around the world, we've established offices. Uh, uh, regional offices, Shanghai, we have about 20 employees there covering Asia, uh, Munich, we, we have uh, an office there covering what we call ERA, uh, Europe, Russia, Africa, and Dubai covering MEI, Middle East, uh, uh, India. And so you get to a point where shipping is incredibly expensive and we ship a lot of air. I mean, we're water slides, a lot of air in the containers. You start manufacturing uh, locally uh, to produce those um, and I, I remember meeting with Adrian Dix, um, a one-on-one -on -one meeting uh, when he was hugely active as the leader of the NDP uh, from a business perspective and, and uh, explaining to him that I'd made the decision to outsource more than half of our manufacturing uh, overseas and that initially I was concerned what kind of a Canadian am I, et cetera, et cetera. At that point, we had 240 employees. Uh, I did that, and today, today the vast majority of our 500, uh, you know, it's got to be 450 of them, are here in BC. 
which is counterintuitive when you move over half of your sure. manufacturing. And now it's got to be it goes against the sort of Donald Trump theme of like, let's get manufacturing back into America kind of thing. Uh, it, it, it does. And, and that's so these are what are these people doing the right then? seat today? Right. <laughs> uh, comma out of office. Yeah. Um, but what what happened is by doing that, our sales volume increased. OK. And all those n new jobs had to be engineered, needed project management, architectural yeah, sure. services. And that's what we've added here. So uh, not only have we doubled our, our uh, employment base as a result of doing that specifically, but those are the high paying jobs. Sure. Uh, yeah. So it's I mean, to me, I was nervous about whether or not I was being a good Canadian or not, but uh, turned out to be um, not a bad one. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, look, the way I see it is if you're employing more Canadians, you're a great Canadian. There's not a lot of Canadians who can say I employ 500 people in this country. And that's something to be spoken about. Well, you're, you're touching a little bit on the political thing as, as well. I, I was fortunate that my father worked for an international company and I, I high schooled in, in Europe. So it, it, it's, it's given me, um, and Paul likewise, uh, uh, did his university work in London and then worked in London for, for nine years. Um, but it gives you a different perspective uh, on, on the world and you recognize, A, it's a small place and it doesn't matter where you are, what country you're in, mom and dad want to put smiles on their kids faces and you add uh, the sun water and and a lot of fun and it's a pretty pretty winning recipe uh wherever you are in the world sure and it's 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 fun to shake things up in some of these uh other countries that we might think are perhaps a little more conservative or conservative not or not not quite as advanced as maybe Canada is. But right. Boy, wherever we go, there's not a, a and, and believe me, I've been, I've been told I will fail many, many times uh, in various countries, but there's not a place that we've entered where it hasn't been a huge success. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about a few of those. Um, maybe let's to jump, because you mentioned Paul. Paul, you came into the company quite recently, I understand. Yeah, about five years ago. Five years ago, okay. Um, you obviously grew up around it with your dad and your folks and your, your family, but um, what kind of drove you to come and join the family business? Great question. Um, I, I think one of the, the great ironies is that um, for the longest time, the notion of joining Whitewater was, was, was quite honestly something we never discussed. Um, as, as dad said, I went to school overseas after, after um, doing my undergraduate uh, back east and then had a career in investment banking in, in London. And I was very much on my own path, charting my, my, own, uh, my own history over there. Um, and it was only after I had elected to move from the UK back to, to Toronto, um, met my, my now wife, Darcy, in Toronto, that dad had, had come out to pay us a visit. And uh, that would have been in about 2014. And that was the first time the discussion had ever really taken place. Who brought it up to um, Yes, I do. Uh, your, your wife? <laughs> no, no, Paul, no, Paul categorically did. I, I, I'm just not a believer of it. I've seen too many train wrecks where mom yeah. and dad want their child to follow in their footsteps. Sure, yeah. It just hasn't worked. Uh, in fact, I remember Paul 
um, he had a summer job working in the shop and, and driving home and he said, oh, my buddies just say I should work for Whitewater. And I said, well, how do you answer that? And he said, I tell them the truth. We've never, never talked about it. But I went out there, met, met Darcy, who's uh, I, Never, never met before. Paul phoned me up and said, Dad, I met this, this woman. I'd never felt like this before. And uh, I, I'd visit him in London and we'd go out with he and uh, a friend um, of the opposite gender. And I was an absolutely lovely person. But anyway, it was, it was Darcy that was, uh, was to be the one. That was a, met her Sunday night. We had dinner Monday night together. And uh, Paul and I arranged to have a, a brunch together. Tuesday morning, and he said, Dad, a bit of an update. I resigned this morning. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> sort of moment. And, and then uh, I uh, had to scramble back to Vancouver and talk to my business partner. And uh, But it, it's it's worked out. It's worked out. Uh, well, I can't say how it's yeah. worked out. You can go to his head. He won't be able to get out the door. But <laughs> it's worked out extremely, extremely well all the way around. Not without its... Uh, as, as one would anticipate, he takes liberties that no other employee would ever take. But uh, <laughs> uh, and I probably well, that might be a good thing, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah no, absolutely. Because it, it especially it, being it's his choice to come into this is very different than what you kind of described, which is a parents kind of pushing it on yeah, the kids. No, it, yeah. it was very much uh, it's very much his his, his choice. Uh, but it's it's worked out uh, it's worked out extremely extremely well. I, I've got. We've never been stronger, and not simply with the addition of Paul, but the whole management team in which he's had a strong hand in in uh, forming is just it's just never been stronger. Uh, yeah. If there's one thing I would hate would be to be a competitor with Whitewaters right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think so, to, to answer yeah. your, your other question, certainly for me, um, fundamentally, all things nepotism uh, make me incredibly uncomfortable but but equally for me it was important that if I was ever to join the company it was important that I did go out and cut my own teeth sure and actually have value to add to the business were I to return and, and come back and, yeah you know after years of education and, and a career in, in finance primarily in in Europe um, it felt as though the time was finally right, A, to have that, that conversation, but feeling comfortable that I could come back and, and add value to the business. Yeah. And as you know, Andrew, yeah. in that sector, in London, in, at a place like UBS, they pay silly. And as a result, yeah. one of our early conversations, well, Paul, you'll realize you'll be well paid, but it'll be about a third of what you earn in London. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there were, there were a few bridges to cross. Yeah, yeah. So, Paul, let's talk a bit about the legacy for what uh, for Whitewater West. Sorry, sure. Um, what do you kind of have as a vision for the company? I mean, I'm assuming the objective here at some point is that uh, Jeff, you'll eventually uh, I don't know if you want to call it retire because I think guys like you don't ever retire. You just kind of like fade away. Right? Oh, sure, maybe. <laughs> you got, yeah, just yeah, exactly. <laughs> But uh, do you have have uh, sort of ideas in your mind? You must talk with your dad often about like what yeah. where you're going to take this company and where do you sort of see it going? Yeah, I mean we've got a three week retirement plan that we're working towards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Starts here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's another thing I know nothing about. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean because I just think to myself, if you got a company that's been around for thirty years, right, and you go for oh sorry sorry forty years forty years apologize forty years. And you look at the, how much you've grown and what you've become in 40 years, 
what the next 30, 40 years could be like. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be just astonishing. Yeah, it's, um, I think we're at a really interesting inflection point for the business at the moment right now. And, and the next few years, frankly, the, the last few, but certainly the next five years will be quite transformative okay. for us. Um, it goes without saying that, that the last 12 months have been very unique for, for all of us. Um, I would suggest equally that COVID dealt a disproportionately large blow to you know the, the types of, of business that, that, that we are, location-based entertainment as a whole. Yeah. Um, and to that end, I mean, candidly, the first six months of, of this past year were, were fairly nerve-wracking, as, as one would expect. Yeah. Less less on on our side because we had a, a strong back order of uh, or backlog of business, but seeing the pain that our customers were going through was obviously very very concerning. Um, but encouragingly for us, uh, whether it was projects that we were already executing or potentially new projects in the sales pipeline nothing was entirely derailed. I mean, there, there's no question. The world for us froze for, for a couple quarters, but it was really around probably September 1st, uh, where there was almost a great thaw that, that took place. And I think with the prospect of, of vaccines starting to appear on the horizon, and bearing in mind equally that a lot of these projects are long lead time in nature. I mean, you're talking about multi-year construction projects. Okay. Our customers had the ability to take a longer term view and all of that cash was just released and the interest, that momentum just picked right back up where, where we left off. Yeah. So we, um, we were very fortunate in that we finished this, this past year, believe it or not, with our second highest level of bookings all time. Wow. Which if you had told me that in June, I, I probably would have called you a liar. Um, but incredible. I think it's a testament. It's a testament to a, to a number of things. It's a testament to, I think, the the underlying foundational strength of location based entertainment. I mm -hmm. think it speaks a great deal to the strength of the experience economy, which I think is becoming right. more and more important with, yeah. with every passing day. Um, I like that, that the experience economy. That's such a, I've never heard that term, but that totally makes it's fitting with what you hear about millennials wanting to pay for experiences. Absolutely. And I think yeah. that it's not just millennials anymore either. It's uh, it's not. And, and, you know, counter somewhat counterintuitively because we talk about materialism all the time. And I think that remains true. But consumers today, whether they're millennials or, or older, are far more interested in spending money on that fishing trip to Tahiti that they can do with their friends and take pictures of and yeah. throw them up on Instagram or Facebook sure. or social media platform you want. That is far more alluring than buying a car yeah. today. Um, and I, I, I think we're, we're certainly seeing that equally when we look at how we emerge from this thing. Um, I mean, there, there are analyst forecasts that are predicting that, you know, in the coming 24 months, Disney is going to have the best couple of years that they've ever had in the history of, of their right. business. And right. there is there is a lot of discussion around this this phenomenon of pent up demand. Yeah, which, sure. Which I think is is very real. And yeah. whether that's you or I, um, you know, heading up the Sunshine Coast, whether it's hopping on a plane to take our kids to Mexico, whether it's going to Disneyland or going to Six Flags or yeah. going to Atlantis, whatever the case may be. Um, People have been cooped up for a year. I think they're dying to, to yeah. get out. 
they've got more vacation days than they ever have done. Uh, yeah. They're cashed up. Yeah. And people are looking for an escape more yeah. than more than they ever have done. So I think the next few years for us promise to be uh, really, really exciting. And that that's true in a in a global context. I mean, we, we talked about a few different markets earlier. I mean, I, th I think if you had asked me a few months ago, the U.S. would have been the one where I said that one stands to to be a bit of a basket case for the next few years. But with 1.9 trillion dollars in stimulus yeah. and a quick vaccine rollout program, they look to be set to be back on their feet pretty quick. Equally, markets overseas like China, which never really skipped a beat, um, they're they're absolutely firing. I mean, you've got some really unique cases in the Middle East, markets like the Emirates and and Saudi Arabia that's mm -hmm. coming on screen where you've got not just mega projects, but what are now being referred to as giga projects. You know, multi 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 billion dollar projects that are going to be completed over the course of the next few years and we are we're fortunate to be active participants and part part of that yeah well you know paul i echo your comments i mean short of a a, a global economic downturn um i think on top of all the things you mentioned for reasons why people want to get out and have those experiences is uh like people being pent up and mm -hmm. saved up their cash i think actually a lot of people are, are saying to themselves you know life's short and boy, was I locked up and I don't want to take these things for granted. You know, like, yeah. I, you know, next time one of my favorite rock bands comes into town, I'm not going to not going to miss out on that. Twice. Thinking that they might come back the next time because I might not have the chance to go see them the next time. Yeah. So I, I, I echo those those comments. Um, you've got some really, really cool projects that you were telling me about. And some of them I've seen on your YouTube videos. Why don't we take a minute to talk about some of these um, these almost larger than life projects. I mean, one in particular you mentioned about is, of course, Qatar is going to be hosting the World Cup in 2023, I think it is, 2022, so next year. And you've got a project you're working on there right now, is that right? Yes. And what do you, what metric do you use, just so we can get a context of, is it dollars spent, is it slides of, for, for feet us, of slide? For or us, it's, it's, uh, it's the size of effectively the equipment and okay. design contract, engineering contract, um, would be the metric in, in the statement I just uh, made. But that one um, is interesting. First of all, you're going into a, a country that's um, very small, sitting on allegedly the largest body of natural gas uh, in the world. It's an appendage to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And they've had this, uh, as you know, this embargo uh, that was just recently lifted uh, in which the Saudis said, well, we're going to build a, a canal across this appendage and, and make you an island. Like literally turned them into an island. It didn't happen, fortunately. But uh, really interesting um, country in the in the eleventh hour of the contract negotiation. Uh, Sheikh Nasser comes in, and 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 he and I engage for an hour, and then we go into a private room for forty five minutes and talk about absolutely everything that the protocol book would say you're not allowed to talk about, we covered it, which was great fun for, certainly great fun for me and, and great fun uh, for him, because I've done it a couple of times. But that project is on an island, so you have the water park on an island, and then from this island, they've built a little railway trestle out to a, a small man-made island in which they, they built or building a huge structure that looks like an oil derrick um, uh, that will be 225 feet high, uh, which is the tallest structure of, of this type 
ever in the world times three, um, in which you have to take elevators to get to the top uh, to take your, your slides down. And it's got every slide you can imagine off of it. Even the big family ones, the iconic structures that we normally have at ground level, these are attached all the way up. And it, it will be a magazine cover wow. photograph for sure. With What's at with, the top? With, I got to ask what's at the top. Well, I mean, it, it's the, the theme is an oil derrick, so there's flames spewing from the top of it. <laughs> so to, to put that in, in context, yeah. your average sort of the tallest water slide tower you would find is on average 75 or 80 feet. So imagine this is three times as tall as that. And you're absolutely right. I mean, these rides are going to be cantilevered off the side of the thing, uh, hanging over the uh, over the gulf. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Good fun. Is it uh, okay to ask what a project like this goes for? Like, what does a, a government spend well, on something like this? Or? they, oh, I mean, we did one in Abu Dhabi, um, uh, which was in the $300 million mark, um, which to put that perspective, well, one like Tawasin or Cultus Lake would be about the $3 million mark. Is that right? <laughs> so it, wow. It, it, it puts it in perspective. Yeah, that, that does, that's helpful actually to know that that's a perspective, you know, that you yeah. look at, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I sort of joke, uh, I think here in Vancouver, the, even in Canada, our view of a water park is sort of a 1987 Honda Civic. Yeah. Whereas we're busy delivering, you know, Tesla. Model 21 Ferrari yeah. or Teslas to the yeah. rest of the world. Yeah. So it's changed quite a bit. Any thoughts as to why, I, I'm assuming just there just isn't big enough market here for it, or do you, do you think we will eventually see, I mean, we haven't seen- outside it. today? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, usually rainy and cold. Yeah, yeah. And, no, it, you you know, a the, lot of it, yeah. uh, first of all, the population, uh, to have a base population helps tremendously. But Mother Nature does uh, as, yeah, as well. Yeah, the that. Asian market, for example, um, their, their summers uh, and their long summers, uh, they're like a Toronto August, hot and humid, uh, like dripping wet humidity from Korea all the way, all the way south to Indonesia. Yeah. And, and so to be able to go to a water park is just a massive treat. Uh, uh, and we've had days in, in Guangzhou, uh, uh, sort of the most significant park in China, one called Chaimuang, 40, 50,000 people a day uh, going through that park. And it's just, uh, yeah, the idea of, of wearing a mask and social distancing, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. like this. Well, I've, we, I, I saw, I watched a couple of your corporate videos on these uh, wave facilities. Not, we'll, we're going to get into the, uh, what do you surf. call it, the endless surf, but um, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. The number of these people in this thing, and they all have the, their floaties. I mean, it's, it's yeah, something yeah. to be seen. It's yeah. quite fascinating. Um, before we jump to the endless wave, just going back to the uniqueness of operating in different parts of the world, you told me that the burkini is a real thing. Yes, I mean it. It, it stems from uh, uh, so the the story of being in a number of countries, cultures where we were told categorically you're going to fail because it's not it's not going to work here. Uh, in in Japan, uh, why why won't it work here? Well. Don't, you know, Japanese don't like the sun. And even in Vancouver in the summertime, you see women particularly uh, walking around with umbrellas to keep the sun off them. Right. And if you go back culturally as to where that came from, you know, years and years ago, it, it came from the notion that, you know, if you were tanned, it meant that you worked in the fields. In and the fields, right, yeah. lower economic echelon, et yeah. cetera. And so when we did the design work there, we, we built tenting so that uh, we, we countered it. And as I say, our number one day 
in the world uh, was 68,000 people in a Tokyo uh, water park uh, a number of years ago. And so we, a myth or a feeling, a thought, turned out to be 180 degrees uh, wrong. Uh, in South Africa, we were told, you'll fail, why we fail? Well, South Africans don't swim. Uh, and and, and you, you start to delve into it, and you have great, great white sharks in the ocean, and I forget whether it's crocodiles or alligators in the rivers, <laughs> yeah. but there's a reason for it. And so we built one there, and I remember seeing a helicopter shot of, of, of the big wave pool, um, and it was all orange and black. Black because of the, the participants, orange because they're all wearing life jackets. They were right, but it didn't stop people having fun. Right. Um, and, and in fact, in some countries like Korea, you can't enter the wave pool without wearing one. Completely different reason. All safety there. Mm. Just safety, safety, safety. Um, and then to your, your specific question, uh, when we went into the Middle East, it was very much the same thing. Well, uh, for religious reasons, it's just not, not can't be going showing to, skin. Not going to work. Yeah. And the first one of the first parks was in uh, Dubai, uh, a project called Wild Wadi, and um, quite successful. Uh, and they started uh, an evening program for women only. Um, and you know, the first night it was less than a dozen women came. And when they did that, it meant that every employee had to be a woman, the maintenance man, maintenance woman. I mean, everybody, the general manager was off the site. Nobody uh, except for uh, women in the park. Um, but at, by the end of six months, they had 2,000 people in uh, for these evening sessions. And then this whole concept of, uh, and you'd see, you'd see the women in their full Arab uh, garb, um, uh, toes in the water, and, up to the ankles, and uh, you wouldn't see them. I shouldn't say see them. You would yeah. hear about this, uh, and and you know there'd be a big tipping bucket, and all of a sudden they were absolutely drenched. Um, uh, and and so the the uh, industry starts reacting to this and and invents this burkini, which is um, a fairly thin black outfit that comes down and sort of elasticized bands on the wrist. Likewise, on the on the legs down to the ankles, with elasticized around the around the ankles and whatnot. But uh, the fun is it's 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 adjusted, and even this one that we've just signed in in uh, Riyadh, the second largest one in the world, um, our mandate there was was to have at least half of the of the entertainment, the rides, um, would cater to people that could wear street clothes. Um, so you could have. People in bathing suits and people in street clothes in the same uh, same ride. Okay. Um, to 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 get around it, but it changes. I mean, you, you got to bear in mind in that country, it's only two and a half years ago that they allowed women to drive. Right. Yes. Um, and and in Saudi Arabia. In Saudi. Yeah. Um, uh, and and so change is happening. Um, I mean, the rest of the world rolls their eyes, but it, yeah. it's happening quickly uh, yeah. over there, and and certainly. Building a water park in Saudi, uh, you couldn't even imagine it ten years ago, and and this this will be a, a great challenge. And and frankly, it's it is rather fun um, being a disruptor of of social norms, particularly sure. if you 
vehemently disagree with the social norm that exists. To a bit of a skewer there is yeah, rather fun. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's my little contribution yeah. to women's rights. So. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more again about the, the future for Whitewater uh, West. And you've got this one technology that you're developing, or maybe it's developed already, called Endless Wave. Endless Surf. Oh, Endless Surf. Sorry, Endless Surf. And I and I'm an avid. I had been an avid surfer until my until I had children. Um, and I hope to be there one day. I hope to take my kids at some point. And get back into it. I love surfing. So yeah. I'm I'm really intrigued to find out about this. Yeah, great. Um, so for for Whitewater as a whole, um, although the company's 40 years old, we we do have a roughly a 35 year pedigree in wave generation and this this goes back to this chance encounter that that took place in in cairo uh, yeah in the mid 80s and that over time although we we've delivered uh, as a company uh, more than 5,000 projects around the world we have delivered more than 200 wave pools around the world uh, most of them focus primarily on what's called pneumatic technology which is effectively using pressurized air to generate waves and it's it's a system that as i say we've We've used for years. It's elegant in its simplicity, but almost like a piano. You can use all these different chambers as though you're playing an instrument to create different different wave shapes. And um, surfing, which it sounds like you're you're very very familiar with. I mean, surfing is one of, if not now, the fastest growing sports in the world, in spite of all the natural headwinds. I mean, you have to live on the coast, you have to have access to, to decent surf. What I think is really interesting, you touched on it earlier, is that I think historically speaking, surfing was viewed as this largely sort of 18 to 25 year old alpha male sport, and, and that was kind of it. Well, today the reality is um, not only has, it, has, has surfing gone through this tremendous growth period, but it's been fueled by the fact that Today, more than ever, whether you're on the North Shore of Hawaii or on a beach in Southern California, surfing today is a multi-generational sport. And you see dad and daughter paddling out together, or you see you know, mom and toddler son splashing around in, in the white water. And um, this is, I mean, the family entertainment is something that we, we absolutely specialize in. And we recognize there was an opportunity to not only pair our sort of unrivaled pedigree or experience in wave generation um, with what is now a tremendous thirst for man-made waves for for inland surf, mm -hmm. and and so it was it was about five years ago, maybe a little, a little bit less, um, that I think we all saw that first YouTube video of Kelly Slater's pool in Lemoore, California that went viral and had you know a gazillion views after 24 hours. Um, that a few other players at that point started to make their way into the market. And it was something that we very actively observed in particular with the knowledge that surfing was about to be formalized as an event in the, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which are now known yeah. as the, the Tokyo 2021 Olympics. <laughs> Um, and that sparked not just our interest, but I think a real recognition of, of the opportunity to, to jump in with, with both feet in the space. Um, so using our existing bench of wave experts and, and engineers, uh, mechatronics engineers who have been doing this for years, we hired uh, a few others to, to come and join this team. 
And I think we really benefited from having that, that opportunity to observe what had been done already and identify a series of, of sort of must-have mission-critical boxes that we knew we wanted to tick to put us in the position to be comfortable that we could put our hand up and say, this is hands down the best inland wave-generating technology in the world. And over the course of nearly two years of, of development, we, we feel comfortable we're, we're there. One of the issues um, of just basic surfing is that, first of all, it's offshore. Yeah. So in terms of a sport that the public can participate in, a wild world of sports, for example, it's really difficult because it's way out there. That's right. Um, uh, and then you, you plan an event and, uh, well, surf's not. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, that's right. And uh, <laughs> the, the... There's so many variables. What, what's yeah. happening now is, is people are saying, wow, I can progress as a surfer way more in in uh, two hours at ABC Surf Pool uh, compared to going out in the ocean where it's going to take me two days to get that same amount of mm -hmm. experience because I've got to wait for a yeah. decent wave and there's people there, etc. Yeah. Well, we can design, we can design uh, an Andrew wave that matches your ability and gets you doing back to your double flips before you land again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I'm <laughs> never, sure you never got to that level, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Um, maybe maybe I get there before I'm 50. A little bit of practice. <laughs> yeah. So we see this analogy might be a, a bit of a rose-colored glasses stretch, but there was a fellow years ago that um, invented the swimming pool. And before he used to swim in lakes and the ocean and whatnot. And then when he invented the swimming pool, it ended up in every community and many backyards, etc. So we see this, uh, not to the same degree, of course, but we see this, uh, uh, yeah, let's go surfing in Omaha. I mean, yeah, <laughs> why, sure. why not? Yeah. Uh, I think every, every major city in the world will have this type of insulate, yeah. uh, without a doubt. So Jeff, there's, uh, there's the slide wheel. Can you tell us the story about the slide wheel? The slide wheel is a fascinating little story, um, specifically because it was invented by a 10-year-old boy that I would suggest will not have to work a day in his life anymore as a result of this little invention. Um, but he came along with the original concept of a, of a slide that would do this. And, and he, he and his father put it to paper. They got a patent on it. They licensed a German company, and we acquired the license uh, from them. But the way it works is um, it's a four-person family circular raft ride. So you enter at one uh, elevation and you exit the ride at the same elevation and then continue down in a regular slide down to a pool. But what happens in, in between these two points is really interesting. Essentially, um, there's flanges on both of these and um, the wheel as, as it intertwines going around like this and this whole middle section turns. These two are, of course, fixed. Um, the, the, the entrance and the exit, <clears throat> so that at one point this is go th this flume will be going uphill, but as it turns, of course, then it's going like that, and then it's going downhill, and at that point the conveyor launches you when you enter. Launches. And, and yeah, it did very <laughs> much so. And and then as it turns, um, you, you you go down and oscillate back and forth. And I I thought it would be just a series of oscillations, but. I've been down the down the ride, and it's it's absolutely tremendous. And the look, 
uh, having a, a slide that rotates around like that is absolutely fantastic. Wow. So it's, a, it, it's, it's really quite thrilling. I mean, it, COVID has put a bit of a, a damper on some of these big projects, but we've, uh, we've got one going into this project we're talking to you about uh, in, in Qatar, uh, likewise in, in Riyadh. Uh, got one going into Wisconsin, um, uh, so it's 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 really starting to happen. It's a relatively new invention as well. Mm -hmm. Well, good fun. Well, I'm looking forward to things opening up, and you guys will have to give me a, a hit list and some of the best places <laughs> to take my kids to just for these these. Do you, do you get contracts from the big names like the resorts in Mexico and like yeah. the Disney cruise lines yeah. and all that kind of stuff? The Disney, yeah. the, the slides on the Disney ship are all all white water. Yeah, um, I think we've done 32 Carnival Cruise Lines. Well, but one of the reasons that COVID, uh, when the areas where we're hit by COVID, is every cruise ship's tied up. I mean, yeah, so everything sure. is absolutely uh, stop uh, on the back end of Royal Caribbean. The the flow riders, the surfing machines yeah. that are yeah. the uh, on every one of their ships, those are all uh, all ours. Wow. Um, and the big resorts, uh, Atlantis uh, in the Bahamas, Atlantis, Dubai, South Africa, uh, Lost City and Sun City, it's uh, all yeah. all whitewater. Uh, I want to go back to um, you as a business here in, in Vancouver and British Columbia and Canada. Um, an hour, which we're pretty much at now, doesn't give us enough time to really talk to this uh, about the trials and tribulations a company years goes from you starting this, you know, business on day one with you just yourself and a massive amount of debt and a, and, a, and not sure where it's going to go to where you're at today. Um, what are your, do you have any views on provincial, local or federal, you know, policies or politics and how it's impacting business owners like yourself or companies that are trying to achieve your level of success? I, I mean, there, I think if you're doing it for the right reasons, you get involved to impact change um, and, and certainly had things worked out differently there would be all sorts of areas that I would have championed. Uh, um, you know, there's been great success in free trade agreements and there's a part of me that would say right off the bat wouldn't it be fun to have free trade within the country as well. Sure. Uh, which we yeah. don't yeah. have today. What, what say for example let's pick on something like taxes I mean is it, 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 it your company's obviously very successful you're profitable I mean, is the tax regime reasonable enough that you would want to still operate in this country? Or have you ever entertained the idea of going offshore just because of the uh, challenges around how you as a company are taxed? No, um, that's it's never crossed um, crossed my mind to go offshore f uh, with head office, for example. Or, yeah. Uh, no, I'm definitely too much of a, a Canadian on that. Um, I, I do fundamentally believe, and it would have been another area on the political side of things. Um, I, I struggle with the idea that the company should should pay tax. Uh, sure, um, uh, road maintenance, garbage pickup, etc. But no company uses our healthcare system, which is the number one um, expenditure of, of any government, uh, federal or provincial. Um, no company uses the education system, which is the number two uh, expenditure. Um, of any government, um, and I, I think it's, um, I think the original, those who originally crafted the, the taxation system, I think they missed the boat. Uh, I, and you might say, well, okay, if you, if you don't tax corporations, uh, how are you going to make up that, that shortfall? Uh, I, I would say two reasons. Let's, let's, uh, <coughs> let's let industry flourish and that will increase the base. Let's get into the biggest area 
uh, of enterprise that, that we as a country could get into, which is the only one that we're barred from, and that is healthcare. We're beside the biggest nation economically in the world that has absolutely the worst and most expensive healthcare system in the world, and we have the best healthcare workers in the world. I mean, that would tell me that let's offer that service um, uh, to those south of the border, and and in terms of job creation, etc., it would be uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely tremendous. Um, so I, uh, th there are there are issues for me that uh, go to the core of why I did get involved in the political process. Those are three examples mm -hmm. there. Well, my observation as we wrap this up is that. Uh, I mean, look, I, I, I work with mostly wealthy people in my day job, and I'm just seeing wealthy people get wealthier. And, you know, to no fault of their own, they're just very creative, innovative people. And I think this, this period of COVID's actually proved how poor some of these government policies are because it's leaving a lot of average Canadians behind. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. This has been a really great conversation. I appreciate you coming in. Um, I am looking forward to your endless surf. So let me know when that opens up. Um, and uh, th this has been a, a really great conversation with both of you. So uh, just to recap, uh, for those who are listening, make sure to subscribe to our podcast. And uh, for Jeff and Paul Chutter, thanks for coming into the show today. Best of luck to you. Best on the legacy and your three week uh, in three weeks. <laughs> find out about how your retirement plan is going. Don't. <laughs> I, I won't. <laughs> okay. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank Appreciate you very much. Thanks. Thanks. Thank